is the third part of our sermon series about our mission as a church. We have talked about what it means to be rooted in Scripture and united in Christ. Today we'll talk about reaching out in faith. And to do that, we're going to read the story of the woman at the well from John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 5 through 30. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Jesus was alone as his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? She asked this because Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is that who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Well, just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said to him, what do you want or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, 
come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? The people left the city and they were on their way to Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come into this time of preaching and make it of you. Come into our hearts and minds that all that we think and say and meditate upon may be for your glory and the transforming of our hearts. Amen. Michael Lewis had heard about Coach Fitzgerald before he ever met him. Michael grew up in New Orleans and he went to a really small private Catholic boys' school. And when he was in seventh grade, a new coach came. Now, Michael played seventh grade basketball. The new coach, Coach Fitzgerald, he coached the eighth grade basketball team. And at that time, they shared a gym and there was a curtain down the middle of it. Seventh grade boys practicing here, eighth grade boys practicing there. And every day they would hear Coach Fitz yelling at his players, telling them what they had done wrong, that they were never going to get better. For any infringement, he made them run laps over and over again. Now, Michael's team, they just did some shooting drills and maybe played a game of pickup. And Michael said that that year, every time the seventh grade practice finished, they all said, man, I'm glad we don't have Coach Fitz. So Michael, a couple of years later, has dropped out of all sports. And growing up in the city of New Orleans, he was getting into a lot of trouble. He loved vandalism and had gotten caught several times and brought home by the police. His mother would cry regularly and say, I don't know what to do with you. He had no interest in anything, no interest in his grades, no interest in his friends. But one day, Coach Fitz walks up to him in the hall and says, I want you to come play baseball. Now, by this time, Coach Fitz has been there two years, and his legend has grown. The rumor was that Coach Fitz, when he played baseball, he was a minor league baseball player, that they once lost a game, and he was so disgusted with himself that he walked across the city of New Orleans in the summer in his catcher's gear. Another rumor that went around is that when Coach Fitz played basketball for Tulane, he played against Pete Maravich. And the rumor was that Coach Fitz had beat up Pete Maravich and Pete Maravich's dad. There was this huge myth around who Coach Fitz was, and everyone was afraid of him. And so when he says to Michael, come play baseball, Michael comes and he plays baseball. And the greatest thing that Michael could tell you about playing baseball those first two years, he was a pitcher, but there was a much better pitcher who was the senior. And Michael took a lot of comfort in that. And he kept coming back over and over again, and he said this about Coach Fitz. He said every time he got angry, every time he threw something, every time he was yelling at us, we sure didn't like it, but we knew it was because he wanted us to be better He believed we could be better. So the last game of this one particular season, they're playing their big rival. They have beaten everyone else, an undefeated year, and they come to this game, and this team has a very real chance of beating them. So the senior starter is pitching, 
and he gets hurt, and Coach Fitz has to pull him out. And he comes to Michael, who at this time is 15, and he says, you're up. You're going to have to pitch. And so Michael walks out to the pitcher's mound, and as he's walking, the other team is applauding and jumping up and down because they know They know who Michael is. They know he's just a kid on the team, and they feel like they've got it in the bag. So Michael warms up for a minute, and then Coach Fitz walks out to the mound, and he looks at him, and he says, Michael, there is no one else I would rather have than you right now in this place. And someone said, Michael, weren't you scared? He said, no. The scariest thing in my world was Coach Fitz, and he was on my side. I had nothing to be afraid of, and they won the game. Now, afterwards, Coach Fitz is in the locker room, and he's giving them this this pep talk, and he talks about courage. And he says, if you want to know what the definition of courage is, courage is Michael Lewis walking out to pitch. That's courage. And Michael said for the very first time in his life, he was no longer the troubled kid. He was no longer the boy who was making his mother cry. Suddenly, Coach Fitz gave him a new identity and a new possibility. You're courageous. There's no one I'd rather have than you in this time. So many years later, When Michael checks his mail and he gets his acceptance letter to Princeton, he doesn't go and tell his mom. He runs straight to Coach Fitz because he he knows who it was who spoke those words of hope and identity and life into him. This passage on the woman at the well, it's about many things. We talk about living water a lot. This is about Jesus offering a Samaritan woman salvation to be sure. But this is also a story about Jesus giving someone a new identity and about speaking words of love and hope into their life. One of the most striking things about this passage is who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the most unlikely person in all of Judea at this time. He's talking to a woman And not only that, but she's a Samaritan woman. And Samaritans and Jews do not like each other. They're a lot alike. But instead, they've decided to just hate each other. And so for Jesus to speak to this woman is unbelievable. You know what's even more surprising? Is that Jesus chose to go this route. There was another way he could have gone to get where he was going that would have been filled with people like him, but instead he chose to go through Sychar. And there he meets this woman, and he offers her living water. And I love this too because she immediately insults him when she says to him, what are you, a Jew, talking to a woman from Samaria? That is an insult. She's being feisty. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm done with you, and turn around and leave. Instead, he continues to engage her and talk to her. And he tells her the greatest truth, which is our assurance of pardon, the greatest truth, that he knows her completely. He knows about her history of husbands in a culture that would have shamed her completely for that. Jesus lets her know that he loves her, 
but he knows her and loves her still. He lives out that passage that Paul is asking us to live out about loving people. But the most amazing thing about this passage is that he was there in the first place. That he went out of his way to speak those words to the most unlikely person. You know, when we talk about reaching out in faith, I don't know about you, the first thing that comes to my mind are all those mission projects we do. It's about feeding people. It's about supporting the mission work in Haiti. And I'm going to tell y'all, y'all are really good at that. You don't need any more encouragement from me. I have seen your heart. You are always ready to help. And I feel fortunate to be in a church like that. But sometimes reaching out in faith means going the difficult route and finding yourself in a place where there is someone who is not anything like you. Maybe it's even someone who bites your head off with this insult. But you're there because you know that every person is a beloved child of God. And my challenge to you is to reach out in faith, even to the people who are so different than us, and offer them a word of hope. Offer them living water. See them for who they are, a beloved child of God. That's what reaching out in faith can mean for us. But it takes effort. It means we have to be uncomfortable. And it means we have to rely on Jesus Christ to be with us in every minute of that time together. Years later, Coach Billy Fitzgerald, there was a big award ceremony. He was like Coach of the Year for several years. And then they rebuilt the gymnasium at that school and named it after him. And when Coach Fitz gets up to speak, he says, You know, I never really thought of myself much as a coach. I thought of myself as a builder of men. You, dear, beloved friends, you are God's own. You are a called child of God. And you have this ability to speak love and truth and acceptance into everyone's life. So use your gift. Build up the world. And see with the eyes of God all of our beloved brothers and sisters. There's no one I trust more to do this work than you. Amen.